This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. In this episode, you'll hear how freelance writer and adjunct professor Heather Schultz discovered spiritual techniques that helped her find her own path through a challenging childhood and the experience of abandonment and adoption that ultimately led to forgiveness. Plus, an intuitive reading brings a new perspective on how these challenges impact her life even today. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. So I first met Heather a few years ago. We were actually working, um, I was working for the city of New York at that time on a program called NYC Generation Tech. And this was a tech entrepreneurship program in partnership with Nifty, which is a nonprofit. And it was, it was really such a wonderful experience seeing these low-income high school students go through the whole journey of creating an app and a company um, that's really solved a problem in their communities. And so I met Heather through that. Um, she was working actually on the, on the nifty side. And we connected more on a professional level. And it wasn't until many years later uh, when I actually left Uh, my position there and started this company and was very open and public about my spiritual journey that we then connected on spirituality. So it's just, for me, really heartwarming to connect with someone on an even deeper level past the professional part. And I'm really excited to learn more about your own journey and have you share with our audience. So thanks again for having me, Julie, on the show. It's an honor to be part of your All Possibilities podcast today. Right now, I'm teaching persuasion and public opinion at Fordham University and speech communications, otherwise known as public speaking, at Brew College. This is my first semester teaching at Fordham, and this is my second semester teaching at Baruch College. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) So how did I fall into teaching? It just kind of ended in my lap. So I went to Brew College for my Bachelor of Arts in Journalism, graduated in 2008, And I also went to Brew College for my Master of Public Administration and graduated in 2014. So at the time that we met through Gentech, I just graduated Brew College with my MPA. And my friend, she also is an alumna of Brew College. She went there for grad school and got her master's in corporate communications from Baruch. And she went on maternity leave last semester. And she knew I was looking to get into the world of adjunct teaching and she recommended me, and because I had a great reputation at Brew College, going there for undergrad and grad school, and I was a stellar student, and I also worked in the Office of Communications and Marketing at Baruch when I graduated at the height of the Great Recession in 2008. They let me replace Christine, so I earned my stars and stripes. Last semester, I was observed, and they invited me again to teach the same class, speech communications, this semester at Brew College. 
And then with Fordham, one of my friends, she saw that Fordham was looking for an adjunct professor for persuasion and public opinion. And I didn't have any connections and I just applied on a, on a whim. And I had to send my syllabus, my observation report from Brew College, my resume, and I got the job. And I just started the semester. And I really found my niche in teaching and inspiring and mentoring students. Beautiful. So how did you even know this was the field for you? Like you talked about freelance writing before and and now teaching in kind of public speaking and persuasion. Can you bring us back to to the first moment where you knew that, or, or maybe you discovered, you maybe didn't know at that time, that this was something that you were passionate about? Sure. So in my spare time, I've had the opportunity to to do some public speaking engagements. So for the past couple of years on and off, I've been working on my memoir. And the title is Memoirs of a Twinkie. And that stems from my adoption, growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood in Long Island, in a white family. And so I joke around that I liken myself to Twinkie, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. And so... And what's your ethnic background since sure. people can't see can't, can't see you. <laughs> so I was adopted from Seoul, South Korea when I was four months in November 1984. So a couple months after our experience working with the New York City Generation Tech, I went to Korea for the first time. I went to the motherland by myself. I stayed with a family friend and I was there for about three weeks in October 1984. And I wrote a first-person piece for NBC News on why I decided to search then. At that time, I just turned 30. I graduated with my Master of Public Administration from Baruch. And I realized that I was in a healthy enough space emotionally and mentally to handle that trip. I reached out to the adoption agency before my trip. I scheduled a meeting with a social worker. And so... During the three weeks I was in Seoul, I also visited a couple other cities, Jeju Island and Busan. I met with her and we reviewed my birth file. Unfortunately, I found out that my foster mother, who I stayed with a couple of months before I was brought to the States, she passed away. But I had the great opportunity to meet the doctor, the OBGYN who delivered me. Oh, wow. So I saw the clinic that I was born and I was there for a good week before I was brought to the orphanage, Eastern Social Welf- Welfare Society. How was, so there's there's a couple of things I want to go into um, with regards to your experience, kind of going, th- being, a, being adopted, growing up in the States, um, in Long Island, and then kind of finally getting, visiting the motherland, as you put it. What was it like kind of to, to, to create the context? What was it like growing up? in Long Island, knowing you were adopted or maybe, you know, just like, what was that experience? Help us kind of understand emotionally what was going through your mind. I always knew I was different. And I remember I was given a Korean Barbie when I was a young child. And I always wanted to play with my Korean Barbie. And I actually decapitated the white Barbies Uh. for whatever reason, but I did not to 
not to go morbid or anything like that, but I had a lot of pride for my Korean Barbie. And uh, also, I remember in sixth grade, I had I got an American doll, American Girl doll, and I actually customized that American Girl doll to look like me because none of the American girls look like me. And I really resonated with the Asian characters on TV shows. For instance, Trini, the Yellow Power Ranger on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> and because I didn't really, I didn't see me in my neighborhood that I grew up. I grew up in Farmingdale. I didn't really see me in my family. And it did bother me that I was the darkest shade by just going through pictures and photo albums. And I did experience some racism in third and fourth grade. And it was so traumatic that I feared going to school. And I was a good student because there were one, one, one to two students that really made me feel shameful for being Asian, specifically Korean. Wow. I'm sorry you had to go through that experience. What, what would you say it kind of taught you? Or, or like, how did it impact you because of the fact that you experienced that racism? So ever since I was a young girl, I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. And in high school, I knew I wanted to be a journalist. So I always used writing to channel my pain. And uh, back in the day of Open Diary and Live Journal, I did write in them frequently and helped me process all my thoughts. And I also spoke about my feelings with my friends. One of my best friends growing up, she was also minority, Muslim, Pakistani. And so we would share our experiences together. And just to be able to share that with someone, just knowing that I'm not in it by myself. And just talking to my family about my victim mentality of why I was picked on and just processing that and realizing that it's not personal that the attacks from the children to me, these incidents of racism, this is a product of what they have learned in their family, in their upbringing. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's a very difficult thing to go through. And the fact that you were able to kind of see different perspectives and kind of be in their shoes and be like, okay, you know, this is, this is what happens when you're surrounded by us, maybe a way of growing up or a way of seeing the world that then it results in these types of behaviors. So, so, um, kudos to you for being able to see that. And so you also talked about when you decided to go back to Korea, that, it felt to me like how you spoke about it, it felt like a really conscious decision that this was okay. Like I feel emotionally, spiritually ready for this. What, what do you think you had to be ready for? Like, whoa, what was it that you're kind of priming yourself for? And how did you go about kind of building that inner strength? So it's really about going into the fear of the unknown. I didn't know what I was going to find. I mean, ideally, I really wanted to find my birth mother, 
but I knew going into this that there was a possibility that I might or might I might not, but it wasn't so much that I had to find my birth mother, to find myself. It was just connecting with the motherland. So I know other adoptees who have dug into their history and they found out some things that are very traumatic to handle. For instance, they found out that they were a product of rape. And that's a lot to process. So I really needed to be emotionally and mentally prepared for this trip. And what got me there was spirituality. I grew up Catholic. And not that there's anything wrong with the religion. There's not. But it's just not a religion that I identify with at this point in my life as a 33-year-old. And I've always been very interested in energy and the greater beyond. And I have some, I have a friend who is a feng shui consultant and she connected me with one of her spiritual teachers. And I started going to classes dealing with the inner child, claiming your personal power, different ways to meditate, uh, past lives. And I learned Reiki from this woman. Her name is Lily Rubenstein, and her center is called the Center of Inner Wisdom. So because of her teachings and also Pierre Dubois, he's also one of my other ascension teachers based in New York City, I was in a healthy space to make that trip. You're going to hear more from Heather about the work that she had to go through on herself to prepare for this trip. More in a moment. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at the Music Lover Podcast. But remember, that's Music Lover without the vowels. M-S-C-L-V-R. Yes, we're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there. So Heather, you're planning this trip to visit the motherland. You you know that you want to work on spiritually how to prepare for it. And you mentioned some of the things that you had embarked on already. What was the most 
powerful modality or approach that helped you to prepare emotionally? Sure, that all stems into my inner child work and forgiveness. So I remember ever since I was a little girl, I had all these scenarios of why my birth parents relinquished me for adoption. Now, I'm very careful about the language that I use because giving up, it, it produces a very negative connotation. And when I got back from Korea, I got involved with some adoptee groups in New York City. And then that led to a position as communications and development manager at the Donaldson Adoption Institute. And it was at that think tank where I learned about the sensitivity in the language around adoption for all extended members of adoption, the adoptees, the adoptive parents, and the birth parents. So I'm very careful of the language that I use. So I had to dig, deep, dig down deep and look inside myself and all these running scenarios in my mind and really just surrender and forgive my birth parents for relinquishing me for adoption. I've had my mishaps here in the States and I've had some negative experiences. I'm a domestic violence survivor and I experiences I experienced incidents of racism and I wasn't the closest with my adoptive family and I lost my adoptive mother from multiple sclerosis when I was 10. She was only 39. And she wanted to adopt me so badly that she didn't want the adoption agency to know that she had multiple sclerosis because quite frankly, if they knew, I don't think she would have been able to adopt me. So she was in a wheelchair when they got me from the airport and she borrowed her cousin's cast to pretend that she just broke her leg and that it wasn't an illness like multiple sclerosis that relegated her to a wheelchair. So I've dealt with serious issues of abandonment in my life from my birth parents, my adopted mother through, not, through no fault of her own. These were the cards that she was given and she was very, very sick and I, and she couldn't unfortunately have a child naturally. And she also had endometriosis. So I had those different screenplays in my mind of why I was relinquished for adoption. So I really had to forgive and, and forgive myself. I was a perfectionist growing up in all through elementary school to high school. And uh, it wasn't until just binging on This Is Us, I finished the first season, all the current episodes of the second season, and I am obsessed. I'm on the This Is Us bandwagon. And I really connected with one of the main characters, Randall, because he said that he attributed his perfectionism because 
any time that he wasn't perfect, it was a reminder that he was not wanted. And I was really able to relate with that. What kind of inner child work did you do? Like, what what does that even look like? Was it kind of um, talking to to your kind of younger self? Can you kind of walk us through what that was like? Sure. So I have a meditation from my spiritual teacher, Lily Rubenstein, and it's just about being the parent that your parents were. And that's not through any fault of their own. You know, they've picked up some negative parenting traits from their upbringing. And so at the end of the day, only you can provide yourself with that unconditional love. So I just had to comfort my inner child and let her know that I'm here for her. I'm never going to leave her alone. I'm not going to abandon her. And that we're making this journey together for better or for worse. And we don't know what we're going to find going into it, but that's okay. And to be brave and have an open mind. I really admire the the work that you had to do to get to that point because, I mean, for, for all of us, we all have inner child work that we may have already done or can still keep going. And, and the fact that that you were able to do that and, and to do it in a very conscious manner. I, I really admire that. Thank you. There's also a book by Charles Whitfield called Healing the Inner Child Within. And um, I do have that book, but I have to say that I haven't gone through that whole book yet. It's a heavy book. But if anyone is interested in inner child work, definitely start with that book. I can imagine. <laughs> this is heavy stuff. <laughs> Lots of crying involved, yes, I'm sure. And releasing. And all good. <laughs> so take us to when you got to Korea. Maybe even the moment you stepped off the plane or what, whenever that pivotal moment was for you. What was that experience like for you on an emotional level, a spiritual level, on of an interrelational level with the people that you met. Sure. So I remember when I got to the airport and I was seriously jet lagged because that was about 18 and a half, 19 hours. I took a flight from JFK to San Francisco. And then from San Francisco, I flew directly to Seoul. So I was severely jet lagged. But I remember when I first started walking around the airport and I saw people that looked like me growing up in a predominantly white town in Long Island. I didn't see that. So it was nice and comforting to see people that looked like me. So while I felt like I was at home in the motherland, I also felt like a stranger because of the language barrier. I don't speak Korean. I have some Korean adoptee friends who taught themselves Korean and they are completely fluent, being able to speak and write, but I only know the basics. So the family friend that I was with, she understood my story, so there was no shame there. But when I was doing all the touristy things and going out on my own and trying to hail cabs or speak with some of the shop owners or 
and I got lost a lot. And I would try to ask others, how do I get where I'm going? I did experience some shame because here I am. I obviously look Korean and I can't speak Korean. So I felt a lot of shame from the natives. While also being at home because for the first time, everyone looked like me. So you went back to the orphanage or the, like, how did you kind of, it feels like there's detective work that you have to do yes. to figure out, you know, where, where you were, where you stayed, who your doctor was. How did all of that come about? So prior to my trip, I reached out to the orphanage, Eastern Social Welfare Society, and I scheduled an appointment with the social worker to review my birth file before my trip. So that was some legwork on my part. And my family friend, she accompanied me on that visit because she is bilingual in English and Korean. And the social worker, her, her English was pretty good, but it was great to know that my family friend was there to provide me that emotional support. I don't know what the statistics are in terms of how many, how many people are, um, are kind of in similar situations who then go back and visit. What, what, is, what is that like? Like connecting with someone who who has had a similar experience to you. So coming back, I got involved with the adoptee organizations, but I just want to go back to reviewing the birth file uh, real quick. And I saw pictures of my adoptive father, my adoptive mother in the birth file. And I actually got one piece of information, my birth mother's name, which is Ha Okja. And Ha in Korea, your last name procedure first. So my birth name is Ha Myung, and Myung means beautiful and prosperous. And my birth mother's name is Ha Okja. It's not a very popular Korean last name like a Kim or a Park. So I had that piece of information, and I took that back to the States when I came back to New York and uh, reached out to the social worker, and she reached out to Korean Adoption Services and tried to see if they could dig a little, dig a little bit more on my story. But due to the limited information, I just had my birth mother's name, no other identifying information about my birth mother, and nothing about my birth father, no date of birth, no address, so they weren't able to pull up anything. I even had a detective in Korea who is infamous for reuniting adoptees with their birth families. And uh, a friend put me in touch with him and he couldn't help me either. So I do want to go back to Korea. I'm not sure if I'm going to make that trip in 2018 or 2019, but I will hire a private investigator to try to find my birth parents. But when I got that one bit of information, my birth mother's name, I, I immediately went into detective mode, and I'm like, this, this is leading, this is leading somewhere. So I also did a DNA 
kit 23andMe. So I sent in a saliva sample and I was connected with my first cousin who lives in the Los Angeles area. So we're trying to see how we're related on my birth mother's side or my birth father's side. At the time that we were digging into that, I was working at the adoption nonprofit and working professionally in adoption and also doing my own background research on my own personal adoption narrative. It just was too much. I, I, I couldn't get out of adoption. So I put my search on hold. But now that I'm not working professionally in adoption, I believe I am in a healthier space to do that search again. And, uh, and I've had, and I've met some incredible adoptees who have reunited with their birth families in Korea and some adoptees who are not even ready to take that plunge. But the majority of adoptees that I have met are very aware and have returned to the homeland Korea at least once. And I have some adoptee friends who were so inspired that they're actually teaching English in Korea right now. So you talk about, it seems like there's this hunger to learn more about who your birth parents are and, and, you know, maybe reunite with them and their family members. What exactly do you envision gaining from it like is it a sense of closure is it is it connection is it like what what is it for you and it could be a number of things and maybe maybe you haven't articulated it yet but what what is that driver for you again it ties into forgiveness and i want to thank my birth parents for relinquishing me for adoption and that i respect their decision and I've had a great life in the States, in New York. But I also acknowledge that it must have been a heart-wrenching decision for them to make. And that I have my adoptive parents, they are my parents, and I have my birth parents, and they're my parents too. And it's perfectly healthy and okay to have two parents. And I want to I, I wanna thank them. And so a sense of closure and also seeing physically wise, like whose nose do I have? Whose <laughs> facial features do I have? I can't tell you how many times it does bother me every time I go to the doctor's office and they ask for my family history. And I have to leave that section blank because I don't know my medical history because I was adopted. Wow. Yeah, we you don't think about that normally. <laughs> but but you do kind of come up against that question every single time just in everyday life. When we come back, I want to talk with you about any advice you have for other adoptees out there and We'll also dive into an intuitive reading that I've done for you that I would love to share with you. More in a moment.
If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. Reach out to the Mouth Media team now at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Let's explore how we can collaborate and make Mouth Media Network a meaningful resource to share your message and grow your business. Again, that's podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. While we were talking about the spiritual approaches that you used to look at areas of forgiveness and um, the feelings of abandonment that you had, I was curious what advice you might have for people who may also be adoptees or whether or not they've been adopted, that they also face something similar. For example, the need to forgive something that happened to them when they were younger or the the feeling of abandonment, whether it's from their parents or from um, a partner, a friend, whatever it may be. What would be some of the advice that you would give? First, just to acknowledge that you can't do it by yourself and to get help, whether that's a life coach, whether that's a therapist, whether that's a 12-step program or meditation, your religion, your faith. Because so many people don't want to admit that they need help. And everyone needs help. And a little goes a long way. So find the method that works for you to tackle on your issues because what's inside the abandonment, the rejection, the hurt, the trauma, the abuse, the loss, that affects all areas of your life. And if you can't get a good grasp on it, where you want to be professionally, you may not get there if you can't look within. So it's so vital to look within and tackle those pink elephants. Yeah, Start, starts with acknowledging that that something's up and that you're not alone in it. I really, I really like that. Cause a lot of people, a lot of people think that it's where it's, it's like inward facing, like all the anger and all the emotions end up going inside. And, and there are many different ways for people to really explore and release that. So, so thank you for offering that advice. Thank you. We're going to shift gears and dive into an intuitive reading that I've already done for Heather. And this is something that I've already channeled beforehand. So how I work is that I meditate on your name and email address. And I use my strongest intuitive sense, which is clear audience, which means clear hearing to 
to hear thought forms. And when I do it, I do this all kind of beforehand. Um, I'm fully conscious at my laptop and I just type out what I hear. So it's almost like a scribe. And what I asked for you was, what is the highest guidance for you at this time? So given everything that's going on right now, what is the one thing that I can share with you that can help you move forward and can help you align with yourself on a soul level? So I have it in my phone. Let me just pull it up here. And how this works is that I will read, maybe it's around three paragraphs verbatim to you. It's all written in third person. So as a communications person, as a writer, you'll appreciate this. Um, it refers to you as Heather, as she, as her, those pronouns, and refers to me as you because I'm the one kind of seeing and experiencing all of this. And every so often there are words that are in all caps or capitalized. And that just means that those words are just more important, just emphasized. And so my visual cues, I'll hold my fingers up like this so you can see it. And um, to our listeners, I'll say the word and then all caps. So you know that that particular word is just more important for you to consider. And every so often I'll hear, okay, it's time for an image. And so I'll close my eyes and I will see kind of streaming video in my mind's eye. And all of this is really because images are worth a thousand words and things just seem to come through or are communicated as a metaphor because metaphors are just so nuanced and so complex to kind of communicate uh, a message. And then I will give you an action step. And this is something for you to explore, journal on, reflect on, because when we are in action in this present moment, we, we really change the trajectory of where, where our future holds. So as I share this with you, just allow yourself to absorb it, follow the imagery. Um, if anything bubbles up for you, like thoughts or um, you might remember, oh, this reminds me of you know, this thing that happened or this particular story. Just keep that in the back of your mind and we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, so for, for you, I asked, what is the highest guidance for her at this time? And it says, it is about the joy and lightness of pineapples. When she thinks of pineapples, she thinks of the bright yellow color, the sweetness, and the sudden tartness that somehow comes together in a dance. She thinks of the gentle recurring patterns on its skin and the prickly nature of its exterior. The duality of the outside and the inside. The sweet syrupy goodness is what characterizes her life. When she sees the nature of life and her experiences in this way, she can come to recognize, all caps, the whole, all caps. What trips her up is when she focuses too much on having the sweetness or on shedding down the sharp layers of the shell 
like trying to file down something unique, all caps, in hopes of making it uniform, all caps. It is like trying to change the exterior of the pineapple, or trying to make it such that it becomes entirely one side or the other. And then the image that I got is a continuation of this metaphor. It says, you saw the pineapple and it got cut in half lengthwise so that one side had the prickly leaves on its left, the juicy yellow interior, and the hard outer shell operating as a bowl, all caps. It is the nature of this bowl, all caps, that is important here. The hard exterior holds the space, all caps, for the soft and sweet interior. Without the hard shell, it just wouldn't work. She could now eat the pineapple as if we were taking in nectar from a bowl. And then the action step is to reflect on what the bowl, all caps, and the container, all caps, means for her in her life. Look at areas where she may be trying to change the bowl so that it ultimately wouldn't be able to hold space. The more she appreciates the dualities, the more she can understand that they both exist together as friends. So that's the end of the reading. I'd love to hear how this resonates with you and what does it bring up for you. So thoughts, ideas, stories, memories, whatever bubbles up for you. Thanks so much, Julie, for the reading. And it really ties into my perfectionism and also an area that I need to improve on is patience especially patience with myself. And I am very self-critical and sometimes I just need to take a step back and realize that there is beauty in going through the journey and that it's not going to happen in one day, one month, or might not even happen in one year. And that there are different benchmarks and I am exactly where I need to be at this time. And the universe presents people, opportunities in my life when the universe knows that I'm ready to tackle them on. And uh, I, the, and talking about the dualities, I, with me, I, I think in terms of black and white and tend to bypass the gray area and there is a gray area and I need to acknowledge that.
there's a number of things that the reading brings up. One is, and I want to kind of hear your perspective on it too. The So I, first of all, I love, this is my first time with the metaphor of the pineapple. I get plenty of metaphors. <laughs> and so it's actually kind of exciting for me to see something new because it's it's this very unique fruit where the outside is kind of prickly. Like you don't really want to, you know, hold it because it, it can kind of hurt. But the inside is completely different where it is this yellow, bright colored, juicy sweetness. And the fact that it, it kind of goes beyond it, talking about it as a bowl, as a container, and that if if you didn't have this hard kind of outer shell, you wouldn't be able to hold the interior and to experience it in that way. So what does that bring up for you? Kind of like what what is the hard shell for you? What is the what is the the bright, you know, joyful yellow interior for you? Sure, my hard shell is my protection from all the obstacles that I faced in my life. Losing my adopted mother when I was 10 for multiple sclerosis. My adoption and the loss of my birth parents, the loss of my Korean culture, the loss of identity. Being a domestic violence survivor and getting myself out of that relationship and realizing that I did not deserve to be abused and I did not bring that upon myself. And these obstacles and going through them and enduring the pain and transforming my life from them, they made me the strong person that I am today. Having that hard shell of a pineapple because deep inside, yes, I see the sweetness. I am very sensitive. My zodiac sign is cancer. I was born on the 4th of July. It, it seems like you're very good at explaining what the hard shell is. What is that sweet, soft interior for you? Like whether it's things you love or your personality, like what, what would you say kind of the shell is holding space for that for like what what is that for you so the joy is just stepping into my personal power and sharing my medicine with the world and i love to educate that's what called me to teaching on the collegiate level and i love to inspire and i love to mentor so with my students i also encourage them to schedule individual meetings with me so I can get a feel of what they're looking for professionally and and connect them to some of my connections so they could get that internship and get that real world experience because I cultivated the art and networking not when I was an undergrad but it was when I was part of the Asian American Journal Association so that joy is just giving back to my students, giving back to other adoptees and helping them make sense of their 
own adoption narrative and just inspiring anyone in my life, my family, my friends, new people that I meet, that, that fuels my fire, that makes me feel alive. And I believe I was put on earth to do so. And, and that's why I need to get back to my memoir. Mm. I want to be that light. Yeah. And it, it feels like all of those experiences you've had have allowed you to hold that space for yourself, for your students, for the adoptees that you've worked with, for whoever else out there who hears this and is inspired in some way, whether or not they may have had similar experiences. So, yeah, keep keep honoring the the outer exterior and see it as a pineapple shell, which kind of brings a sense of levity to it. And uh, the reading also brought up this image of it's almost like seeing you wanting to file down the like the prickly parts of the outer shell, like trying to get it so that it's smooth and so it wouldn't look like a pineapple anymore. And and what it was saying was, this is something unique. When you try to file it down, it kind of makes it. It's like you're trying to make it uniform, like to look like everybody else. And so so honor honor the pineapple in all of its different facets, uh, both the inside and the outside. All right. So I'll leave that reading with you, and I'll also email it to you so that you can always kind of keep going back to it. And it's also a great tool for meditation. And also, you know, when you're asking yourself, am I, am I being the person who's trying to file down that prickly pineapple shell right now? Or am I honoring the fact that, that I'm able to hold the space because it's there? And I like how it ended where together the outer and the exterior, that duality, they exist together as friends. And the pineapple also reminds me of SpongeBob, and I was a huge fan of SpongeBob. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> There's always more layers behind it. Like once people really um, think about the metaphor that they're giving, because it's very personal. They're you know, two months from now or even tomorrow, you might you might remember some pineapple affiliation that you couldn't remember right now so those are always fun emails to get from people they're like oh my god i see pineapples everywhere now so so i'll leave that with you is there a cause or something that you really believe strongly in that you may not have talked about already that you'd like to share with the audience thanks julie for asking i pretty much touched on all the causes that are near and dear to my heart, awareness around abuse and domestic violence, multiple sclerosis, and also cancer. I have a lot of relatives and friends who are cancer survivors. Some are going through treatment right now. And those are some 
other causes that I'm passionate about. And how can our listeners get in touch with you or your work? Sure. So my email address is Heather, H-E-A-T-H-E-R dot J dot S-C-H-U-L-T-Z at gmail.com. And they can also find me on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is Heather J. Schultz. And I'm also on Facebook, Heather Schultz and LinkedIn. So please reach out to me and I look forward to hearing from you and listening to your stories and helping any way that I can. It's all about paying it forward and giving it back. Beautiful. Thank you for that. So I'm, I'm really glad that Heather, we could connect in this way after knowing each other professionally. And I'm really happy that you could share these stories with not just me, but our audience, because I, you know, I know it may be difficult to, and the fact that you've um, have come such a long way in terms of seeing seeing everything that happened from this perspective and now kind of giving back to people and, and inspiring others and educating others um, is really a gift to the world. So thank you for being on the show and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you do, Julie. And for you, the listener, take a look at what kinds of forgiveness you can offer in your own life. And take some of the steps that Heather suggested to, to acknowledge what is so, to, to seek help in some way, to find and explore uh, different approaches, spiritual approaches that can really help you to offer that forgiveness so that you may say thank you to whatever it is that you've gone through to get you to where you are. And until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.